You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's now open God's Holy Word to the Scripture readings this morning. These readings come in connection with Lord's Day 12. Read first of all from Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We also go to The last book of the Bible, Revelation 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, And they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, 
and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This morning the sermon will deal with the Word of God as been summarized by the church in Lord's Day 12 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Why is He called Christ? That is, anointed. Because He has been ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. Our only high priest, who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us, and who continually intercedes for us before the Father. And our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit, and who defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. Why are you called a Christian? Because I am a member of Christ by faith, and thus share in his anointing so that I may, as prophet, confess his name, as priest, present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and as king, fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and hereafter reign with him eternally over all creatures. Beloved congregation of Christ Jesus our Lord, some years ago, I don't know how long ago it was, Somebody made a painting of the Lord Jesus. And in this particular painting, we see a building. It's the United Nations building in New York City. And beside the building is Jesus. They're standing beside it. He's actually towering over it. And he's making a gesture as if to knock on a door. Leaving aside the ethics of making pictures of the Lord Jesus, these sorts of images reflect a certain mindset about who He is. In this instance, He's the gentle soul, knocking at the door and hoping that the United Nations will open up and answer His invitation. What we confess from Scripture challenges these sorts of pop images of our Lord Jesus. We confess that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the Anointed One of God. As you may know, the Greek word Christ and the Hebrew word Messiah both mean the Anointed in English. At His baptism, He was anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our prophet priest, and king. Those three offices. And this morning, we're going to take special note of that last office, the kingly office of Christ. We confess that Christ is our eternal king. 
That calls up many different kinds of pictures from the Bible. One of those is that of a warrior. In biblical times, kings were also the commanders of their armies. They were soldiers who led their armies into battle. It's the same with Christ. He is the Lamb of God, but He is also the Lion of Judah. This warrior king appears in Psalm 110, which we just sang, leading God's people out to battle and bringing them to victory. Matthew 10.34, we hear the Lord Jesus saying, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. This eternal king is clearly revealed in the Bible as a warrior king. He fights. He fights for his people fights for them in the spiritual warfare that has existed from the time of the fall. And in that fact, we also see him revealed as a mediator, the one who acts for someone else. So in order to have a full picture of who this is whom we believe in, we need to include the scriptural truths that Christ is our eternal mediator, warrior, king. That's our theme for this morning as I preach God's Word to you. And we'll consider three points. First of all, His reign in our redemption. Second of all, His reign in the response to our redemption. And then finally, His reign in the full realize, the realization rather of our full redemption. Well, Christ's kingship is found in, in many places throughout the Bible. You take Zechariah 9, verse 9, which speaks about the king of Jerusalem coming with salvation and riding on a donkey. Matthew tells us in 21, verse 5, that this refers prophetically to Jesus. And there's also the the passage that we read from Philippians 2. Paul doesn't actually use the word king to describe Jesus there, but we definitely find the concept of kingship. After all, as Paul says, Jesus was in very nature God. God is clearly described in kingly terms in the Old Testament. Think of that psalm that we sang from Psalm 99. But Paul tells us Christ laid aside His regal glory before the eyes of mankind. And He did this not by losing His divine nature, but by adding a human nature. He concealed His divine majesty for the time of His suffering and death. And after all that He did for us, we read in Philippians 2 that God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the highest name. This was so that everyone would bow before Jesus, recognizing Him as the supreme authority, recognizing Him as King. So I don't think we have to pursue the point much further that Scripture teaches very clearly that Christ today is our exalted King. But now what what exactly does this King do in His reign? The Catechism summarizes the Bible's teaching on this when it says that, first of all, He governs us by His Word and Spirit. This has everything to do with our redemption. 
And there are two different aspects to this. First, we should note that Christ brings us and keeps us under His reign by His Word and Spirit. Colossians 1, 13-14 says, For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Did you catch that? We've been rescued from one kingdom and we have been brought into another. How did that happen? Well, Christ works through His Word and Spirit. Through the preaching of the Gospel, Christ rescues those who are dead in darkness and brings them into His wonderful light and He makes them alive. The public proclamation of the good news is the normal way that Christ first brings us under His reign. It's also an important part of how He keeps us under His reign. When we hear the preaching of God's Word, this is one way that Christ keeps us in His kingdom. With His Word and Spirit, He keeps us focused on serving our King and following in His ways. So there is the preaching, but there is also something else that He uses. Something the value of which should never, ever be underestimated. That's the sacraments. The king also uses the sacraments to keep us under his reign. He uses them, along with the word, to keep us focused on himself. Before the service, we heard the announcement that next week we hope to celebrate the Lord's Supper again. Definitely something to look forward to. And as we take part in that sacrament next week, we'll be reminded and assured of our King's hearty love for us. Be reminded of how great a Savior we have. In all of that, the Spirit is working to keep us under the reign of King Jesus. We're also a congregation that sees a lot of baptisms. Each time there's a baptism, we're also reminded and assured that we are united with Christ in His victory over sin and death. Sometimes, for whatever reason, perhaps we have the tendency to be individualistic in how we look at baptism. The administration of baptism, I mean. We think that when we, we have a baptism here in the worship service that it's mostly for the parents and for the child, but the rest of us are just spectators. We're kind of disconnected from what's going on. Well, sure, we're happy for them and everything, but we're not really involved. We're not participants. Well, while it's true that only the child is being baptized at that particular occasion, you know, the rest of us are not excluded from participating in the sacrament. There's a reason why we baptize in a public worship service. This is something that involves the participation of the entire congregation, young and old alike. Each time a child is baptized, the entire congregation sees the water being sprinkled. 
and is vividly reminded of who our Savior is, that He is our eternal King and Mediator, who has given us promises that cannot fail. Each time we see the water being sprinkled on a covenant child's head, we see a picture of our union with Christ in His death and resurrection. And Christ uses this, we could call it the visible preaching of the Gospel. He uses that too to keep us all together under His reign. And so word and sacrament ministry, which we only find in the public worship services of the local church, is a key part of Christ both bringing us under His reign and keeping us under His reign. In all this, we see Him working as a mediator king who loves His subjects and who works for their good. That brings us to the second aspect of His reign in our redemption. Catechism says that He defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. In other words, Christ is not only concerned with bringing us and keeping us under His reign, He's also interested in protecting us from whatever and whoever might take us away from His reign. Think of the various passages in John's Gospel where the Lord calls Himself the Good Shepherd who protects His sheep. Well, who exactly does He protect us from? Well, we can think here of two different enemies, specifically the world and the devil. The world is our enemy. The world wants to bring us back to darkness, and it uses different ways to do that. We hear messages from the world, messages that say that being worldly is more fun and exciting. We're told that being part of the world, well, you have freedom. You can be your own boss. Do your own thing. Beloved brothers and sisters, we have to recognize that as the lie that was told from the very beginning. The lie that Satan told to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, get up. You don't need God. Go do your own thing. Forget about Him. We need Christ to protect us from these lies and these deceptions. We also need to see that these worldly attitudes often creep into the church as well. Sad to say, the people sometimes who, who are intent on living godly and holy lives are sometimes attacked or undermined in their efforts by people they would least expect it from from fellow church members. Here too, we need Christ to guard us, to protect us in our redemption. So we have the world, but we also have the devil. He's the one that Peter calls a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's a fierce enemy. We should not underestimate his power. Satan and his demonic forces, they also seek to destroy us and rob us of our redemption. Thankfully, in His love, Christ promises to defend and preserve us against Him. 
In John 10.28, we hear him saying, I give them, sheep, eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. But how does he do this? Well, it's through his sovereign power. Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And everything and everyone is subject to Him. And that includes the world. It includes the devil. It's through His mighty hand that He can and He does watch over us. Yes, brothers and sisters, praise God. Praise God that Christ our King defends and preserves us. He's like a warrior king defending the helpless citizens of His realm. He's a mediator who lovingly cares for those who are under His wing. He does that not only for individual believers, but also for the church as a whole. We have a Redeemer who is mighty to save. Our eternal King. He reigns in our redemption, and now we'll also see that He reigns in the response to our redemption. Through faith, we've been incorporated into Christ. The Catechism refers to this biblical truth when it says, I am a member of Christ by faith. Now the language here is meant to call up an image. It's the image of a body. We are all parts or members of Christ's body. This means we have union with Christ. And so we share in His Holy Spirit, His anointing. And baptism, like I mentioned a moment ago, is the testimony of this union. The result of all this is that we, like Christ, are also prophets, priests, and kings. I am a member of Christ by faith. That means that I have been redeemed by Jesus. His Spirit worked faith in my heart, and I embraced Christ as Savior. And then what follows from that is a matter of loving thankfulness. I love the God who bought me. I want to be thankful to the God who brought me out of darkness to dwell in His light. And the way we do that can be summarized with those three offices of prophet, priest, and king. We're focusing on king. And so in our office of king, we are responding to the redemption Christ has accomplished for us. This is part of our sanctification, our thankfulness. And keeping that in mind, we also need to remind ourselves of what we confess in Lord's Day 32. In that Lord's Day, we say that our thankfulness is not us, not our work, but it is Christ's work in us. Christ, having redeemed us by His blood, also renews us by His Holy Spirit to be His image. In other words, the good news includes our sanctification. Now, some believers have this strange idea that God's grace goes only so far as our justification. The sinner gets saved by God and His grace, 
then after that, you're on your own. And you have to work to keep in God's good favor. It all depends on you. Brothers and sisters, that is a Roman Catholic way of thinking. That's not good news. The Bible teaches us that the good news that Christ is at work in us, not only at the beginning of our salvation, but throughout our salvation. Not only our justification, but also our sanctification is Christ's work in us. And so He reigns, not only in our redemption, but also in the response to our redemption. We sang Psalm 110. There's no other psalm that portrays Christ as the warrior king in greater splendor. From this psalm, we see that the the warrior king is not alone. He has soldiers under him who who join him in the battle. Verse 3 of Psalm 110 says that these troops will be willing on the day of battle. We might ask, why? What makes them willing? What makes us willing soldiers under Christ our King? Well, for the answer to that, we could go to Philippians 2.13. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. It is God who works in you. Specifically, it's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Spirit who dwells in us. The Spirit who leads us onward in holiness. Christ carries out His reign in the response to our redemption through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Nevertheless, this doesn't take it all away from the commands that are given to us and the responsibility that we have to follow those commands. A second ago, I mentioned Philippians 2.13. I didn't mention verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, it, it is God's work. It is the Holy Spirit who does these things. But He uses means He uses and He shapes our wills and our obedience in the process. So with the Spirit living in us, we will hear the imperatives of Scripture, the commands. And we will follow them. We'll follow them out of thankfulness and and love for the King and for what He's done for us. For us who are so undeserving. Recognizing that our call as kings is to fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life. There's an image here of a soldier, the Christian soldier. And that image of the Christian soldier fighting against sin and the devil is found in several places in the New Testament. And probably the most well known is Ephesians 6, where Paul tells the Ephesian Christians to Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
I'm not going to go through that passage verse by verse here this morning. You can do that for yourself at home. If you have a good study Bible or commentary to help you, it might even be a good passage to read at lunchtime. The one point that I want to draw out of Ephesians 6 for our purposes here this morning is that Christian soldiers have armor. They have two kinds of armor. They not only have defensive armor to protect themselves, they also have offensive armor. They have a weapon. They've been given a weapon for the battle, but only one weapon. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation, which is again part of the defensive armor, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Bible is the only weapon that Christians have been given to fight against sin and the devil. This is our sword. And in the ancient world, soldiers were trained to use swords. Normally, you can't just pick up a sword and go into battle and expect to find success. You need training. It's the same with Christian soldiers. We need to train with the sword of the Spirit to be able to use it effectively. Use it in the battle against our enemies, the sin, the devil, and also our own flesh. As we fight this battle, using the, the tools that have been given us, using the weapon that's been given to us, increasingly we come to share in Christ's victory over sin. Our union with Him in principle starts more and more to look like a union in practice as well. We begin more and more to look like our victorious warrior king. His reign among us becomes progressively more obvious. <coughs> That's one outcome of this battle. And it is, it is a lifelong fight. The whole of the Christian life from the time of regeneration to the time of natural death or when Christ returns, is one long battle. Christ came to bring peace to His people. But we need to see that it is peace which starts a war. And the good news is that it's not our war. It's not our battle. It is Christ's. And the victory is assured in Him. The war of Christ and His people against sin, the devil, and our own flesh will be over someday. It will be over when our full redemption is finally accomplished. Now let's briefly consider His reign in that as well. We confess that Christ is an eternal King. That means He has always been a King and He always will be a King. However, the day is coming when His reign will be more glorious than it has ever been. In the age to come, King Jesus will have unsurpassed glory on the new heavens and new earth. And if that isn't enough good news, we have the promise of His Word that we will be there with Him, reigning 
into eternity. Though today we often suffer, we often experience grief in this broken world, God's promise is for something much, much better. Hebrews 12.28 tells us that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Through Christ, we know that eternal glory waits for God's people in the age to come when our full redemption is realized. Then Christ will reign in full glory and we will reign with Him. Revelation 5, our other reading, shows this most beautifully and powerfully. This chapter portrays to us the victory of Christ. He appears in this chapter as the Lamb who was slain, but also as the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, victorious and triumphant King. In this chapter, we also find that those who had been purchased with the blood of the Lamb, they've been transformed. They have been made into kings and priests to God. And they will reign on the earth. Here we find a promise of future glory for God's people. Just as Christ was exalted, so also His people will be exalted with Him. And so when the day comes, when our Lord Jesus returns and our full redemption is realized, when we see it, we will reign as kings with Christ our King. With His sovereign power, He and He alone will make it so. And in this too, we see Him as our mediator. We know that it doesn't depend on us and and on our strength, but on Him. And on Him alone. He will guide His people to victory like none other can. And at that glorious moment, at the consummation of all things, not one of His people will be missing. Brothers and sisters, this is our Savior. And this is also the Savior of this young man, Jamie Van Delft, who's come here this morning to profess his faith. He wants to publicly profess his faith in this King, Jesus Christ, the King, has been reigning in His life. The King has redeemed Him and with His Spirit has also worked in Him the response to His redemption. Jamie, let the Word of God encourage you this morning to continue to fight the good fight. We trust that the King will also bring Jamie and all of us to the realization of our full redemption. At that great day, we'll all together praise His name and we will reign with Him in glory. Let us pray. Lord God in heaven, thank You for Your Word of truth, which has again put Jesus Christ and His good news before our hearts. King Jesus, We praise You for Your reign and our redemption. We're thankful that You bring us under Your reign with Your Word and Spirit. We're grateful that You keep us in this good place through the preaching of the Word and the sacraments. 
we humbly implore You to keep on defending and preserving us in the redemption You obtained for us. Lord, please also continue to reign in us in our sanctification. Lead us on, O King Eternal. Give us more grace that we would show our love and thankfulness to You by fighting against sin and the devil in this life. We pray that You would direct us evermore to the sword of the Spirit and that You would train us in its effective use. We pray that You would do all this until the fullness of Your kingdom comes, until the day when the fullness of our redemption is realized. We ask, O God, that the day would come quickly. How we long to live for eternity in Your presence, happily ever after under Your rule. Please hear our prayer for Your own sake and for Your own glory. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.